Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the Sportacast. All right, Novi Williams, our colleague, Kurt Badenhausen, right off the bat, first byline for Sportico, he uncovers a billionaire. Not surprising, it is not you, it is not me, but unsurprising in the world of sports business that a newly minted millionaire, I mean, it could be, uh, it could be Bitcoin, it could be NFT, but also, not surprisingly, comes from the world of sports betting. Yeah, Scott, it was the uh, it was the buzzy industry before uh, blockchain and NFT took over from sports betting. Jason Robbins, co-founder of DraftKings, started the company back in 2011, uh, spent a long time as a daily fantasy company before making the move to DraftKings. It's been public for less than a year, Scott. It feels like it's been eight years. But in that, in that less than a year, the stock price has essentially quadrupled. And when that happens, the people who own the most shares make a lot of money. And, and Jason Robbins owns more than 4% uh, of the company's shares. $1.2 billion is the net worth right now, based roughly off those shares, according to Kurt. Not a bad haul for, uh, for eight years into a company. Yeah, I love those kind of stories where you see the pictures of the founders in like a living room or a garage. And you have to say kudos to Jason, right? Not only did he start sort of the daily fantasy, but you and I, uh, we have for years been saying sports betting is coming and they're going to have great value because they're building a database of customers that will easily translate to sports bettors and not just daily fantasy players. And he was patient and he was meticulous and now here he is, like you said, what's his net $1.2 billion? So uh, we saw it coming. Um, we knew sports betting w- was here to stay. We knew it was on the rise. And how many states are our guru on this? How many states are we in and, and where are we headed? 20 plus right now. I think around 30% of the population right now has mobile, uh, mobile legal sports betting in their state. Uh, and that's without a lot of the biggies. So yes, I think it's, that's, that number is only going to continue to grow and thinking about DraftKings, I mean, you, you're right. This is this has been a rocket ship sports betting for a while. This has not been an easy ten year run for DraftKings and for Jason. There was a time there where they were one of the hottest companies in in the U.S. And then regulations started taking a look at them, and attorney generals like Eric Schneiderman in New York took aim, and it wasn't clear if sports betting was going to be the, the federal ban was going to be struck down. It came at a very fortuitous time. Um, but I'm sure Jason lost a lot of sleep and, and took some some years off his life getting to kind of the point where he is right now. And, and the success that they've had has been largely because 
he was willing to you know push the envelope a bit to, to push DraftKings when it was just daily fantasy into new states kind of before there was you know d- definitive legal explanation of whether it was legal uh, an ability in kind of the two years we've had legal sports betting in the US to consistently push the envelope both product wise and in terms of where DraftKings is op- operating uh, he's been able to move fast in an industry casino wise where historically these companies don't move fast and it has certainly paid off for both him and and for DraftKings shareholders who got in got in early yeah he went the Gretzky route he went to where the puck was going not to where the puck is and you and I remember and some of that trouble from regulators and I always struggle when it's attorneys general I don't know if you said that the singular or the plural, but it always sounds odd to me to say attorneys general. But it, it definitely was was a result of sort of the massive marketing campaign that DraftKings and FanDuel held years ago where they were looking for market share and what was their customer acquisition cost. But you could not, and this is literal, you could not watch a sporting event on television without every two minutes at least being bombarded. Uh, they spent a ton of money on marketing competing against each other. And you didn't know which one was going to uh, what survive or both survive or who would be a market leader, but they were spending an insane amount of money on customer acquisition. And after a while, that did catch the eye of regulators. And then there was that big question. There was that uncertain time of, is daily fantasy alone? Forget about looking down the road to legalize sports betting, but was daily fantasy gambling? And was that okay? So, uh, yeah, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest ride, but he's also the second DraftKings billionaire, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, Israeli entrepreneur Shalom McKenzie, uh, who founded SB Tech. Um, he, too, became a billionaire. Uh, DraftKings went public in April, right? Reverse merger with SB Tech and a SPAC Diamond Eagle. So that also kind of fueled a little bit of this SPAC rage because they were one of the first to successfully complete such a deal, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. You sent me a very funny uh, note over Slack when this thing happened, a photo that the Miami Herald had published a few years ago of what appears to be Jason Robbins' high school yearbook. And in there, oh, right. I, I was says, like, I really didn't know where you were going. I forgot about this. I forgot <laughs> There's I a thing in there you. where I guess everybody listed their career goals, Jason's, and I quote here, get my MBA and get rich. Scott, not bad to check off both the career goals uh, by age 40, huh? Yeah, now I'd like to ask him again if he's going to do another one of these sort of what do I do from now? Is it just grow the company? Is it do something else? Is it see where see where the world is going and try to get in there? Yeah, I mean, what as Mark Cuban said, right? It gives you time. That's the one thing you can't buy. You can't buy time. So he certainly now has the uh, the wherewithal to do with what uh, he likes to do with his time. By the way, the other shareholders in DraftKings, we should mention like an interesting mix. You've got Disney is the second largest, Bob Kraft, Dan Snyder, the NHL, and the WWE. Like those are interesting partners and forward thinking partners, again, strategic partners that helped him get to where he wants to be. Jerry Jones is in there. Ted Leonsis yep. also in there. It's a it's a long list. And Scott, they're gonna have, I would assume they're gonna have a pretty big next six weeks uh, because March Madness is happening, one of the biggest annual sporting events on the US calendar. And as a result, one of the biggest sports betting events. On the U.S. calendar, the event's going to look a little bit different this year. It's all being held entirely in Indiana, as opposed to this plan of having regional sites all across the country. Uh, but it's 68 teams, winner take all, you lose, you're gone. How different are you expecting this tournament to be for viewers who aren't obviously going to games live, as opposed to kind of games, tournaments in the past? This event, more than any other 
that is going on and you have you have other sports coming back and I'm watching pro you know fill in the blank you had football you have hockey basketball this event more than any other from a television perspective and let's always remember I mean I preach this till the cows come home that sports at scale are a made for TV made for TikTok made for name your platform event because the number of seats times the number of tickets, uh, you know, there's a finite number you can scale digitally around the world. People can watch. That's where the money really is going to be made in the future. But this event for me sitting at home without the student section, without the bands, without all of that college stuff just seems to be missing something. I understand people are excited just to see team, you know, team A play team B, but from an emotional standpoint, from a presentation standpoint, I do believe that this will not draw the casual viewers it once did simply because it doesn't have that same feel. So that, that, that's where I peg it. And also, by the way, if you're just a casual fan or a hardcore basketball fan, you know what else you're missing? Not just bands, not just student sections. You're missing Duke. You're missing Kentucky. Mm-hmm. First time since 76, those Blue Blood programs have missed the tournament in the same year. And let's face it, people love to root against Kentucky. It's like the Howard Stern model, like I told you. Half the people loved them. Half the people hated them. Uh, I'm going to give a little. I know this mathematically doesn't work out. 20% wanted to see what he would say next. He didn't care. It's about aggregating audience. And if Duke is playing somebody, I can tell you casual fans around the country would tune in because they wanted to see the Blue Devils lose. They now don't have that. Another thing that's different this year, just from because of the way the the court time is, is is, the games are a lot more spread out. I always feel this way. You get the first two rounds every year and then you hit that first Monday and you're like, oh my God, there's no games today. Well, there are games this year. There's going to be a lot more games spread out. I think that's going to be a a potential benefit for companies like DraftKings, which we were talking about earlier. In, In the past, games have been so stacked on top of each other that it was harder to kind of place a bet on one, see if you won or lost, make a decision on the next one. These games are going to be a bit more spread out. It may help in that way. It also may help uh, from a TV standpoint. One area, Scott, where the NCAA is trying to make it as normal as possible is the finances around the whole thing. Every year, the NCAA gives out usually about $600 million distributed to teams based on how well each conference performs in the tournament over a six-year span. It's a really complicated formula. But the thing to take away is last year, that $600 million, when they had to cancel the tournament, went down to $225 million. That's a big drop. A lot of the smaller schools that don't make a ton of money on football, this is a pretty big revenue driver for them. So heading into this year, the NCAA has said $613 million is the, is the payout, and they will be distributing that as long as this event gets off without a hitch. Why don't you explain, by the way, because a lot of people don't understand how important the tournament is to the NCA in terms of its budget. Like, they go, oh, there's college football, too. No, not really. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the thing. The, the NCA does not control the college football postseason. That's the playoff or any of the bowl games. So if you look at the balance sheet for the NCAA in a given year, it's about a eight. It makes a billion dollars in a, in a normal pre-COVID time in, in a year and well over 800 million of that. So more than 80 percent of that total comes from the media rights with Turner and CBS for this event alone. So the fact that college football happened this year and, and largely, you know, a lot of canceled games, but got the whole thing in, that doesn't really help the NCAA's bottom line that much. This is the important one. 
Uh, and, and, and for reference, when they had to cancel last year's tournament, the NCAA said it lost $800 million between lost ticket sales, between kind of a shift down in the, in the media rights, between some of the sponsorship stuff. They had a, 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 um, an insurance policy, Scott, $270 million insurance policy that offsets some of that. But even though the NCAA is not selling tickets this year, it is committing to giving out to its schools the full share of what that payout would have been normally. All right, so give me my top line teams here. Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, Michigan. Who's got exposure? Where's money going? Uh, Gonzaga, by the way, 26-0. and 0. They are the favorite to win the tournament. So, you know, you, you got that. Are, are people plunking down money on Gonzaga? Um, Michigan, at one point, was 125-1. to 1. I assume they're better than that now. They're Georgetown, the by the way. Yeah, they, the, Michigan's the big exposure. Yeah, I, and that, I'm from guess, what I understand, for sports books, yeah, there was a lot okay, of betting yeah, yeah, early yeah. in the season. Okay, and I'm going to say uh, probably Georgetown at some point. They were at, at earlier in the season 2,500 to one. They were picked to like finish last in the Big East, and guess what? Patrick Ewing, my guy Patrick, got them to the Big East championship in the tournament. Now they're 200 to one. So um, I wonder how many Hoyas fans. Uh, we will rock you Hoya sacks. I wonder how many folks plunked down a dollar or two on the Hoyas earlier in the year. Yeah, it's, you mentioned Illinois and Michigan in there. One, one of the most interesting things I, I see as kind of an overarching storyline, the Big Ten had a tr- fantastic year. There's two number one seeds, Illinois and Michigan. Uh, two number two seeds, Ohio State and Iowa. Purdue is in there. There's three more teams in the top 40 seeds. So there's, that's eight teams in the top 40. If you contrast that to the football season, Scott, if you remember the Big Ten essentially bent over backwards to make sure Ohio State could get into that football <laughs> yep. playoff because the te- the conference had one good team, Ohio State, and it wanted to make sure it was getting all of the resources and kind of unifying behind it because of how important it was to get that one team in the playoff. Now you have the opposite problem if you're Kevin Warren in the Big Ten. You now have a ton of really good teams. I imagine whatever the marketing spend they have to kind of talk about these teams, it's hard right now to think about how you put how you put that money to work when you're thinking about two number one seeds, two number two seeds, a number of other teams in the top 40. Uh, it's a better problem to have than, than the other, but interesting kind of contrast in six months between football and basketball for the Big Ten. And you didn't say Rutgers in the tournament for the first time in a while. Hello, congratulations to Pete Coates, our friend of the program. Yeah, look at that. Uh, Let me, I'm going to tie this up and you're going to like this. So we're talking about the Big Ten and we mentioned Gonzaga 26-0. The last unbeaten team was the Hoosiers in 76. You know who got close? Larry Bird got close, not in Indiana, but at Indiana State. Mm. They lost the championship game in 1979 to a Michigan State team with a point guard, I guess you could call him point guard center, power forward, small forward, shooting guard, whatever he wanted to do, uh, named Magic Johnson. But MSU, by the way, in the news for an interesting reason this, this past week. <laughs> I'm really glad that you really glad you brought this up. I t- I'm really proud of that tie <laughs> yeah, that's by the a way. really good transition there. Um, so yes, Michigan State uh, earlier last week announced a expansion of their pre-existing deal with Rocket Mortgage that would brand the basketball team, the men's basketball team, as, and I'm quoting here from the statement, as the MSU Spartans presented by Rocket Mortgage throughout the Breslin Center, which is their home arena. Uh, People on Twitter immediately jumped on this as some kind of new partnership, tie, a, a presenting sponsorship to a team. Obviously, there's it's a thorny issue now because the NCAA has promised for a while that athletes will be able to market themselves and has 
dragged its feet beyond even what it was projecting on, on making that happen. There's a very public <laughs> Supreme Court case coming in the next few weeks, opening hearings on that, that, that is about compensation for athletes as well. And Scott, the, you don't see this all that often, but the athletic department, 24 hours after its first statement, had to put out a second statement clarifying that they were not renaming the team, that this is a, a partnership that you see corporate-wise across sports, both college and professional. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, that this is not something that every athletic department does, but it's probably not as bad as maybe the the, the Twitter mob made it out to be. Yeah, I mean, folks like Jay Billis were sort of poking fun at the whole endeavor. So they didn't have to put out a statement, but I think they chose to put out a statement because they were getting dragged a bit around social media and they wanted to make it seem like this is really no big deal. Nothing new. Uh, stop. You know, nothing to see here. Stop making fun of us. Uh, big, big dollars also going in, by the way, Mr. Novi Williams, Jacob Feldman with a great story on arena renovations. And when we did our return to play event, our first one, we had owners talking about what it's costing them to retrofit their buildings with technology that will make fans feel safe going back to arenas. And we have another event on returning to the stands. We're starting to see, you know, Texas Rangers are going full capacity. We've got basketball. We've got hockey accepting fans back. Another event joined us on Wednesday for a Sportico Live event. Um, John Babamondi, the CEO of Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment, BSC Global. Uh, Stephanie McMahon will be taking part. So a lot of industry leaders talking about what they've done, getting fans back in the stands. And the WWE, of course, has WrestleMania coming up. But like teams like the Suns, the Phoenix Suns, they had announced an arena renovation in 2019, like 230 million bucks. They were going to do the standard stuff, seats, lighting, video board. But because they were doing their renovation anyway, sort of a good time for them to look at stuff like their HVAC system. They're putting in like hospital quality filters. And these are all things our surveys tell us that fans are going to want to know before they start going back to buildings and droves. Yeah, I think for people who are going to be going to games or maybe going to games already, some of these things, you mentioned the, the HVAC system filters out particles out of the air, so it recirculates it. Um, there's touchless concessions, cashless concessions, there's UV cleaning. Jacob wrote about a, a mist from a 60-year-old company that made essentially... This is the coolest part. This is so smoke cool. ...that realized they had been making this for years, like a theatrical effect type thing, and then realized in 2015 that it was also antimicrobial, and that's something that I think a lot of arenas are going to be using as well. It's odorless, you can't see it, but it is working kind of behind the scenes. I thought that was the coolest part of the story that, yeah, this, this fluid as a vapor is in the air at these arenas because it would accentuate the lighting effects. So you didn't see it, you didn't smell it, anything. But now, well, wait a minute, this has an antimicrobial uh, property. Why don't we test it against viruses silver, uh, similar to COVID? And that's what they're doing. It's, it's, it's really cool. I mean, did you ever hear of anybody talking about ACH before when you're talking about arena and arena development and, and plants? I didn't. Nope. But, but now I know it's air changes per hour, and it's the kind of things that owners uh, are having to pay attention to, to see how much air is filling up a room and when it leaves, to see if they can provide a what I guess will be deemed a safe environment. Yeah, I think that's one, one of the re people who have read that when, you, when you're flying during the pandemic, one of the safest places during your trip is the actual airplane. It's because of the amount of times in which that, that air gets circulated through a filter and then put back into the, into the airplane. Scott, one of the things I want to... I want to talk with you about it's something that that was in Jacob's story. The GM of the Suns Arena, Ralph Marchetta, I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. One of the things he told Jacob is that a lot of the things they're doing are aimed more at making fans feel safe 
more than it is about ensuring their safety. So I mentioned the you know UV cleaning, for example, along railings and seats. There's a lot of studies out there that that show that maybe less so than we thought at the beginning of the pandemic, the the COVID-19 particles don't really hang out on surfaces in the way that they did. I'm not sure if UV cleaning is all that important to, to making fans safer, but it certainly seems like it is something that makes fans feel safer. And for a lot of teams, that seems like it's maybe even a, not maybe not a bigger, but it's just as much a part of the equation as the actual health benefits of what they're doing. Yeah, kind of like the hidden core tenant that I always talk about. You don't need a championship caliber team, but you need to sell your fans on the illusion of the chance to compete for a championship. Mm-hmm. So sort of the same thing, uh, make them feel safe. By the way, I think one of well, my last time, not the last time I was on a plane, but I did take that long ride to Beijing for the Olympics years ago. Um, we do have an Olympics coming up in Tokyo, or maybe we have an Olympics coming mm. up in Tokyo. They <laughs> we should do decide. For now. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, it's July 23rd. It's supposed to start. Don't you think perhaps we should have an answer pretty darn soon? And uh, an interesting offer from uh, from China, by the way. It certainly seems as though, at least right now, things are going full steam ahead for, for Tokyo 2020 and Beijing 2021. The, the, the Winter Games will be in China in, in less than a year. The interesting thing you're mentioning, China has committed with the IOC a partnership to provide vaccines to athletes from around the globe, anyone who wants them heading into the 2020, 2021 Games in Tokyo and those 2022 Games in, uh, in Beijing. It's not a requirement. You don't have to be vaccinated as, as an athlete to compete in Tokyo. The thing that, that jumps out here to me, Scott, this seems like a pretty savvy move by the Chinese government. There's been stories of them using the vaccine and their plentiful amounts of it as, as kind of a diplomat, diplomatic tool, soft power. Politicians here in the U.S. have made, uh, made no secret about their objection to the idea of going to the games in Beijing next year. I think that's going to continue to be a bigger and bigger social political issue in the U.S. moving forward. But by offering to give vaccines to athletes for both the summer and the upcoming winter games, China is just deepening its relationship with the IOC. Not that the IOC was ever going to hold them to task uh, in the next 12 months anyway, but this just makes the, the, the relationship, it makes China even more, uh, it make, makes them you know, a, a bigger part of the Olympic movement moving forward regardless. Endearing themselves even more to the IOC. And let's let's be clear, Japan said no, said the vaccines from China have not been approved for use in Japan. So thanks for, for no Japanese thanks. athletes. And yeah. this is the number that would concern me. Yeah, yes, yes. This is what this is what concerned me if I'm officials in, in Japan, that 80% of Japanese in recent polls said the Olympics should be postponed or canceled. It's pretty clear that sort of that nationalism that comes from being selected to host the games is now given way to concern of visitors coming from all around the world during a pandemic. So you get this sort of feeling that if they do stage the games, it'll be just the athletes. And as I stated earlier, this is a TV event. This is about how do we broadcast the event to the world. But this more than tepid interest from the Japanese people would be concerning uh, if I'm the IOC and as well, of course, the organizing committee in Tokyo. And and concerning in, in a more micro way too, it sounds like there there's not going to be international fans at these Olympics. So, so more yeah. so than ever, you're more reliant on the local population being really excited about these games and wanting to buy tickets. And this was, if you can go back in time two, three years ago, one of the things everybody said about the Japanese Olympics, and it's it's almost ironic now, is that this was going to be the the non-controversial one. 
that after yeah. having games in South Korea, after having them in, in, in Brazil that had all kinds of issues, after having them in Sochi, that people were looking at Tokyo as the, the non-controversial, the one that was easy to sell to clients, to sponsors, et cetera. And unfortunately, just because of a pandemic, we're not going to hit that. But yes, the fact that the locals are, are, are not excited about this is bad for the Olympic movement kind of worldwide in that aspect, but also particularly bad now because you know, Tokyo 2020 is relying on those people to buy tickets because there's no one else. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. You can get the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.